0: And this episode of ArcaSpeak is brought to you by RCAT. If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation. And that's RCAT. RCAT.com is a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date, accurate specifications. RCAT's specs are written by FCSI, CCS, AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful speech engine to find the right specifications for your project and download them in multiple formats for free. You don't even have to register. Just go over to rcat.com and get the information you need. This episode is also sponsored by BQE Core. BQE Core is the award-winning cloud project accounting platform made for architects. Core combines time and expense tracking, billing, project management, and accounting in one streamlined platform. With Core, you'll increase efficiency, win more projects, and find some time to relax. Make work easy with Core and get a free 15-day trial by going to bqe.com slash core. Plus, look in our show notes for a free ebook from BQE, 10 Key Financial Metrics to Measure Your Project's Performance. It'll show you the top KPIs to monitor in order to boost your project profitability and make the right choices for your firm. And thanks to BQE and RCAT, for sponsoring this episode of ArchiSpeak.
1: Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture.
0: Welcome to episode 136 of the ArchiSpeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell.
2: And I'm Cormac Phelan.
0: And in this episode, we are honored to actually have uh, our—I think—our most frequent guest, Rosa Shang, is back, and she's got a lot of things to update us on this past year since we last talked to you, Rosa. So, welcome to Arcuspeak.
3: Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Cormac. Thanks,
2: thanks for coming. (laughs) She's like, "Wait, what? I did? What did I do? (laughs) I can't remember any of it. It's been a blur." (laughs) Yeah. it has a we'll good that
1: checklist so that you can refer to it sure. all the things that you've checked off as done done done
0: well uh rosa why don't we start off with one of the big things that's happened in the past year since you were last with us and that's professionally with yes. uh, with your job
3: yes um in october i transitioned after 20 years plus at and Swinsky jackson um i became a principal at Smith Group JJR in San Francisco. And uh, believe it or not, it was the last thing I ever imagined doing in 2017. And the reason why I say that is because we had embarked on um, rebuilding and renovating our house. So literally, we had moved out of our house, and then we're moving back into our house. And then on top of that, I was Um, In the application process for the um, fellowship, the FAIA, which is like writing a thesis paper. It's a 40-page endeavor. And I had those two goals as the 2017 goals, and this opportunity came up, which actually started um, in 2016 at the end of the year. And I had met um, the principals of Smith Group at a Christmas party and started the curious conversation of where I was and what I wanted to do you know, in the future for my career. And um, I said yes to talking, but I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere because I had a bias about large firms. I had a bias about what Smith Group was because I knew from the past that um, predominantly was male leadership, but I didn't know anything about their current state. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to find out through a series of lunches and coffees throughout the year um, that they had, in the last three years, um, done a leadership transition where the uh, head of the office, Joyce Palaimis, um, and most of the studio leadership teams were all women. So that was kind of an intriguing, hmm, this is interesting, some, mm-hmm. you know, some firm that's actually walking the talk, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't the only factor, but that was something that drew my attention and then through a year's worth of conversations about alignment, um, the fact that they had a, a young studio for um, higher education, but they also have a strong um, workplace studio. Those those are the two uh, studios or specialties that I have worked in back and forth, as you know, from um, my previous projects uh, that I feel passionately about and um, The icing on the cake was that there was this opportunity that they were interested in expanding the conversation of equity, diversity, inclusion within the practice uh, firm-wide. So as part of the conversation, they asked me if I wanted to lead that effort in developing, not from ground zero, they had already started some of the um, initiatives that I'd brought up in the um, equity and architecture survey, and discussions about equitable practice, such as pay equity, they had already done an audit. Um, They were talking about having more engagement and mentorship um, transitioning from, you know, the annual review cycle to a coaching model where there were coaches for every employee and everybody had a a mentor, so to speak. So there are a lot of things that they're doing towards that goal, but they they acknowledged that they needed somebody who could champion the effort and it worked out really well and in the end it was kind of an offer I couldn't refuse mm-hmm. so to speak I'll leave it at that um but it was a, a fearful thing because I had been um at and Swinsky Jackson for 20 plus years and I had done some amazing work there and there is this point in your life when you think well I'm established you know I, I'm I shouldn't be moving, I should be you know, happy where I am. But then all these questions came up of what more could I do? Um, I, I talk about profound impact a lot in my career goals and um, being able to affect change in practice, what I've been talking about in theory uh, with the survey work and actually be able to implement change on a practice level was really compelling. So that's kind of it in a broad nutshell. If you have more specific questions, I'm happy to dive in.
2: Well, I mean, to me, this seems like, you know, obviously a great opportunity to, you know, take everything that you've been working towards with Equity by Design and, you know, put it into practice and affect, you know, a really large firm that, you know, has, and I don't know their history of, you know, you you said that, you know, it was obviously mostly male dominated up into the last few years. And, and now they're really trying to, you know, enact change. I mean, it it seems like, you know, who better to like reach out to and say, okay, you know, we're a big firm that, you know, doesn't really have just a firm type footprint, but a profession wide footprint and just, and to be able to, almost be kind of like a standard bearer for uh, you know, for this change and kind of let all of the other firms, you know, small and large see what Smith's group's doing. It's pretty amazing. and it It's to me, it sounds like a, an amazing opportunity. Uh, although it seems kind of, you know, looking at more of a, like a personal level, you're like, you know what? I'm doing all of these things. What else could I do to challenge myself? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Let's let me change my job.
1: It also seems it seems yeah. really neat from from the point of view that you just presented it, that they want to create change and then they had to kind of I think all all of our firms and other firms that are out there are seeing the kind of dearth of finding people that they need, right? It's it's difficult. Er- it is. Everybody is well employed right now. It's hard to get people to move. And so you actually have to go target those people. And how are you gonna do that? It's a it's a strategy that you have to figure out and, and just you can't just sit around waiting for people because, like you said, you had this bias about who they already were. And even though you were wrong about it, like you didn't know, you weren't current on it, I should say, um, they couldn't just sit around and wait for somebody like you to come along and, and come knocking on the door. They had to go out and find you. So I think that kudos to them for seeing that opportunity and then making such a sweet deal that, like you said, you couldn't resist it. and And so it's a win-win.
3: And on a larger front, it's about design and design excellence, which it's not just about getting the right numbers of people at the table. It goes beyond that into the type of thinking that will propel architecture to the next level, if you will, right? So um, whether it's integrating technology, AI, or thinking about where we're going to be in the next 10 to 15 years, um, we see that thinking happening and it's about maximizing the diversity of talent right and the skill sets that people leverage and not saying well we only know this group of people over here but it's ex- expanding that pool yeah. right which is really exciting awesome no
0: it sounds like it's been a pretty wonderful opportunity and i'm curious so that was like last fall late last fall yes. how how has i mean we don't not have to get into specific details, but I'm just curious, how has that affected you personally making such a change? I mean, you're, you're used to a firm, the people, its operations, how it works, how you do your timesheet, how, you know, how everything is done in a firm after spending 20 years in one location or one firm, not, not necessarily one location. How has it been? How, ha- how have you handled that transition and how is it going for you personally?
3: Um, it's like being reborn in a weird way. Um, I know it's existential, but relearning how to walk, to eat, to do all the things that you took for granted, um, you know, all the different systems, even the technology from Mac to IBM, you know, uh, from, you know, laptop, uh, and, you know, different systems, right. Of doing things. And literally the first week I would go home and I would pass out exhausted because my brain
4: <laughs> was yeah, very
3: weird. and you know I was just very alert to like wanting to learn and not messing up, so to speak, and just even getting used to um the new role, right? And what I was um hired to do and, and being mindful of that. And um there's a lot of things that I do what I do well, but also making room for the growth, right? So not guilting myself into saying, oh, I'm not doing anything today that I feel is productive, right? Because there are days, it's a ramp up, right? So I basically had four projects, and they're all in different states of development and construction. Um, And then to come to a, a new environment where you're basically building you're at ground zero and then you have to build everything back up again and it's a scary feeling but it's also very exciting so a lot of reconnection to former clients um to new clients you know a lot of business development lunches a lot of this kind of face-to-face interaction is very exhausting right (laughs) i didn't realize it i mean i've done a lot of it but then it was kind of like every other day there was a lunch to schedule or you know people to meet and coffee to have and of uh, introducing people to the new place and what I was doing. And you know, so of uh, I think I am I'm amazingly at a place where i I'm I feel that they have been open armed in terms of embracing me into the culture and very welcoming. So everybody I've met, the other principals, um firm wide even just I haven't met people in person yet and I've gotten these messages of welcome and congratulations and support and wanting to know more about the movement for equitable practice and wanting to engage. So I can't ask for a better environment to jump into brand newness, if you will. Um, I feel like I have that lifeline or, you know, the the safety vest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A flotation device, that's right. That's great. That's, I'm well, you, you mentioned uh, as you were kind of going through all this stuff it, toward the the later half of last year that you were also writing your forty page uh, letter thesis for this paper your thesis, <laughs> yeah, so so tell us about that process, and obviously we we already know the outcome, but but how how was that
2: for you? Don't spoil it.
3: well the secret it's it's too late the not not so big secret is that uh this was my second time around so I wanted to kind of dial back to two years ago when I applied and I didn't get it then and I was kind of devastated that I didn't get it then because I had applied with some of my um really close colleagues and I felt like a failure um that I didn't get it then and it took a lot to kind of re uh reset and get back on the horse if you will, because you the the process of it is basically putting your life out on display for somebody else to judge right yeah right a uh, professional life and that is a very vulnerable thing right and then to have that rejected is something that um I can't describe it in in the time that we have <laughs> <laughs> Necessary, yeah, sure. but uh, shame and you know whatever these weird feelings are, you have to kind of get over that. And somebody I talked to recently, and who who is an F and also has the support of, uh, is a sponsor, said that when he takes on candidates, he tells them upfront, this is a five year process. You may not get it on the first try. It might take you three tries and you have to be ready for that. And if you're not, I I can't be your sponsor. And I was was thinking about that, reflecting about that. And this was actually a five-year process for me from the time of 2013 when I started Equity by Design. And I I knew that was something that I wanted to try to achieve was this profound impact and then having, and then also being recognized for it, right? I thought that was important, not for myself per se, but for the movement that it had had teeth and permanence. and then when we did the first survey, I got really excited and I thought, well, you know, it's it's got national presence, and maybe that will be recognized, right? So I went in there, I had a strange approach in that I was very stubborn. I still wanted to be recognized for the architectural projects that I'd worked on. Yeah. And somebody had warned me that you have to be very specific about they have five categories. You have to be seen as an expert in one of these categories, whether it's design or practice, leading the Institute. Um, The last two are out of the Institute or leading a a similar parallel organization like NCARB, right? And then there's the Mother Teresa award, which is like the community impact, which is number five. So I was saddling between practice and um, leading the Institute. And I picked practice. And I tried to use, they had a subcategory called research. So I thought, well, the equity work is research. And I had done research on all these other different types of projects I worked on. So I tried to create my own category. And there's a certain amount of disruption that uh, will be seen as innovative. But then I went a little bit, in hindsight, I went a little bit off kilter, if you will. I was trying to pack too much into a Little bag, and they just wanted a very focused kind of delivery of what you did because you only have five minutes. Uh, There's so many applications that they have to review collectively. If you can't say it and make it a succinct message, that was the other part of it. I don't think I had that clear message Uh, one, two, three, you know, Rosa did XYZ for the profession. And then this is all in hindsight. So I so back in 2016, I thought, well, I try again. And then I had another advisor say, it's probably better if you wait, a, if you skip a year and you just erase some of the commentary that was presented. And I mm. thought, well, that's a weird thing to say, but I trusted him. I, I I thought, okay, let's erase, you know, because there was confusion, right? And if you try again, the comments were about the confusion. so the idea of erasing the confusion of whether or not it was practice or leading the institute was kind of cleared off the charts, if you will. Um, and then I started fresh all over again with just leading the institute. And you still have to show practice work, but I don't know if this is confusing or not, um, but the, the bulk of the work was about leading the institute, even though you're supposed to show that you are a practitioner. Mm. Uh, but I had a couple projects in there that, that tied back into the work. So long story short, I had a great advising team. Um, there was a lot of editing. I, I think architects tend to talk a lot.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so it was like yeah. a 60-page thing. And uh, Rebecca Edmonds was my uh, editor and uh, Mike Davis was my sponsor. And they're a great team about focus. You know, Really get the message, hone the message, go back and make sure that everything you put into the bag touches upon those three um, tenets that you are professing that you have achieved impact in. So that worked out this time. (laughs) (laughs) And now in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, that was easy, but it wasn't because there were a lot in in doing all these other things of speaking and um, doing the research and managing the symposium and workshops and building these relationships and having the personal life as well, I had to carve out time that was very focused, which meant that there was less time at times for my family. And they're very supportive because they knew this was something that I was committed to doing. And, um, yeah, I, I just feel very fortunate and not only my family, but friends and champions locally and beyond. Um, I had a group of cheerleaders that when I felt exhausted and tired and, oh, God, do I really have to do this again? Um, they're there to say yes. So
1: That's awesome. You had a great group to support you there. I did. Yeah, so congratulations.
3: Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well-deserved. I feel like it's not an award per se for me, but for the, what is to be done. Um, there are certain people that see the FAIA as a capstone to your career, but I see it yeah. more as a launch pad of what we can continue to do to make things better.
1: Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a platform, right? I mean, it's, it uh, it's one of those things where I, and I, I, I like how you said that because when I, when I saw that you had achieved this, it, I really felt like this was a huge win for not just for you, but for everything that you Absolutely. stand for. And, yes. and so that gave me, uh, uh, you know, all the good feelings. So that would, congrats.
0: That's good. Thanks. It's a huge, huge <laughs> achievement. We're all very proud of you. To say, Come we, to New
3: York and celebrate with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we knew you win, right? <laughs> Rosa, I'm, I'm curious, looking back on that process, do you think you had to go through the process you did to get where you did to achieve the FAIA, or I mean, do you think you could have done it differently from the start, or do you think you had to maybe go through that process?
3: I had to go through a growth process of one, letting go of the skeletons in my closet about proving myself. Um, I think that was a big skeleton in my closet that I had to be all and show all and that um, the work stands for itself in in a certain way. And to build that confidence over time to say, you know what? I don't need to prove it all. You know, I I don't Mm -hmm. need to, and 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 having it focus less about me and more about the work that I'm trying to do and, and the people I'm trying to lift up, I think that was the big mental shift, right? And uh, it, I think most of your viewers or, or listeners actually may recall that I was at a point where I was ready to leave architecture, so that was a very emotional right. thing.
4: Right.
3: And to come back around from that wanting to disappear or leave or... Um, feeling uh, that there was no path forward to seeing that a path was created by persistence and the fail, fast, fail often, even failing, right? So not getting it the first time. Um, the the journey for getting equitable practice on the map hasn't been an easy journey. Yeah. Um, it has seen resistance, even though we can't imagine it now. But people were questioning, well, Why? why equity and why not just diversity and inclusion and confusing it with equality. You know, we've had these conversations before, but mm-hmm. seeing that it is almost like a holistic way to, of intersectionality and tying everything together that, um, having that mindset improves how we not only have each other's backs, but, as a holistic way, how we can retain the environment, the built environment, and also the natural environment that we love. How do we save our planet from, you know, self-destruction of uh, people just thinking about themselves, but how do we, and you know, big ideas, but how do we um, link arms and find the common thread, even though we are so different as individuals, how do we find that common thread as community, as society, um, to propel us forward? Yeah, big. I, big I, I love that
1: that this that this show, in its very small part, can just be a place for you to kind of spread this awesome story because I think lots of people out there feel all the time like, why is it so hard? Why is this so hard? Why is that so hard? Why why are these five things so hard all at the same time? <laughs> uh, for for people to hear kind of this amazing story of just perseverance, right? I mean, that's one thing I congratulated you on when you made your announcement, it was just thank you for, for being somebody who persevered through so much to get to the point where you did, because it does show that hard work doesn't always pay off right when you want it to.
2: Right.
1: But in the end it does pay off. And I, and I'm just so happy that you get to share that story here because I don't think we hear enough. Like I I keep saying to, you know, to people that I'm acquainted with, you know, you just keep seeing all these social media stories where it's just a highlight reel, right? It's, it's, It's just the good stuff. People love to put the good stuff out there, but they don't like to talk about all the other crap that happens along the way, because, because, you know, it hurts. You don't want to be reminded of that stuff all the time. And you don't necessarily want people to even know about that. But I think that just telling this story right here, right now shows that yes, it doesn't matter who the rock star is. We've talked about, talked about the rock stars before on previous episodes with you. Um, you still have to go through the really difficult stuff to get there. And so I'm, I'm just happy that that you get to tell that story here because our, I'm sure a lot of our listeners need to hear that right now. I mean, I know that I need to hear that right now. So thanks for sharing all that, that it's really meaningful.
3: And I'd like to end that part with a quote from Annalisa Pitts, who's been on the show before Um, she did this um, Pachakacha about her own journey. And the end quote was, um, That you, it was, and I add the the part about failing fast, failing often, but um, you can be a failure in the moment, but not be a failure in life, Mm -hmm. right? So I like to, I like to weave those two um, quotes together and really challenge people to fail. And the funniest part was I watched uh, The Last Jedi and there was a Yoda quote about failure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That we can't become masters unless we fail. A mastery of our skills until we fail.
2: This is leading to something that I wanted to ask. But one thing that I always say to my kids are, you know, if if everything comes easy to you, you're never really going to learn how to master it. It's only when you fail. And sometimes it's failing often and you continuously persevering and keep at it is yes. when it actually pays off and it actually um you know shows that you know you earned it that that this was something that you know didn't just come easy wasn't given to you wasn't handed to you it was something that you know you earned and failed at and earned <laughs> but so here was actually where I was leading because I wanted to ask this question. So you know we we've we've talked a lot about you know kind of how the profession and everything else is kind of like weighed you down and You know, you've you've gone back and forth on on what you wanted to do um, as you move forward. And now you're at this, you know, this this stage where, you know, things are starting to show that all of this hard work was for naught. And as a parent um, and your daughters, you know, see their mother making this achievement. I mean, how is it? Have you talked to them? I mean, have you like, you know, kind of shared with them kind of like, they see the journey, but i'm I'm curious if they understand you know that you know things that you are going through are things that they're going to have to go through, but that everything is possible, and there is like absolutely no limits on them. And I'm just think, curious,
3: yeah, I think they see that um I do share the failures and not just the success stories, and um, I don't know if I shared once Jordan, my older one, had written a report. And about, um, I think it was Mother's Day, and she had talked about being proud of me, and it was so moving in that um, it talked about not just the successes, but the struggles, and that she really, at that moment, I felt like she really got it. Um, So it was very heartwarming to know that they are feeling inspired, that they can do anything that they set their minds to do, and getting over that fear of failure is really important, um, because it happens on a daily basis with whatever they're trying to build their skills on, right? So, yeah, I think they (laughs) can. I hope they get it.
0: So Rosa, one of the other things you've accomplished and are enjoying this year is you're the AISF San Francisco
3: president as well, right? That's correct. Um, I didn't know this, but somebody made me aware that I was, I am the first uh, Asian American woman to be the president of AIA San Francisco in its 136 year history. So That was an aha. Wow. (laughs) wow,
0: That's amazing.
3: It is amazing. And we're having an amazing year as well uh, with a lot of engagement, a lot of new members, a lot of really great programs, including uh, the next conference, which is focused on the new urban agenda uh, parallel with um, the national conference in New York for those that, are not able to go to New York, we wanted them to have a similar experience. So we're curating a program and uh, content based on the uh, the idea that we need to put our heads together to solve the challenges of mass urbanization, right? So whether it's housing, affordable housing or, or the issue of homelessness, um, the resources that are, you know, constantly being attacked the clean air and the clean water we breathe or even transportation even though we're architects transportation has a lot to do in affecting uh, the affordability of the cities we live in so we're really excited about that and of course the 2018 equity and architecture survey which is actively open right now we launched it on uh, February 12th so that was very exciting with um, the Association of Collegiate Schools of Architecture, and um, a lot of other partners and sponsors. And that has been widely received. Um, we had a check-in last Monday where we are over 6,500 responses to date, and it was ever-growing. So our goal nice. is to reach 10,000 voices, and I'm uh, I'm not going to jinx myself, but I- I'm hopeful that we'll get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so at, what's what's different from this one compared to the last one? Because I, I'm sure a lot of people yes. took it last time and I and I'm wondering if are they thinking, well, I did it before, do I need to do it again? Like what what do you guys I know that so, several things under the hood have changed. So what should yes. you talk a little bit about that?
3: Well, I'm gonna paraphrase what Annalisa Pitts and Kendall Nicholson have already said in the there's an article in Architect magazine that goes into a deeper dive of uh what's different. But essentially, uh, even the way we formed the survey, Annalisa did a call for uh, a committee to design the actual content of the survey to see what people were interested in finding out. And from that group, they did research where they um, had an annotated bibliography of readings and backup, et cetera. And what came out of that was a desire to have a deeper dive into issues of race and ethnicity of the populations that were being represented and their experiences that were different from, um, the, you know, the majority, uh, population. So in addition to that, um, we talk about questions about cultural competency and that isn't just about knowing, um, you know, where a person was from, but how that cultural or the cross-cultural interactions, uh, were different or not, um, based on, those backgrounds, right? Or the the knowledge or intelligence about one's cultural background. Um, Organizational justice is another new topic that's very exciting. Um, Do people think that their organization is treating them fairly? And what are the dimensions of that? Uh, I think a lot of us can view in our past employment, you know, where was the point where we stopped being um, engaged or Uh, wanting to do more at that particular firm? Was it um, the idea that we didn't feel that we were being treated fairly or not? And it doesn't have to be just women or people of color, it could be men too, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of loyalty to that particular firm, when does that stop, you know, is is the point where you don't feel like you're being treated fairly? So we're diving into that question. Um, so a lot of the questions are also the same because we want to track in, in the last six years uh, you know, where we're going as far as pay equity, uh, work life, uh, questions about caregiving, et cetera. They're still prominent issues. And then we're also asking for more input from the LGBTQ plus community. And we did have representatives of those communities in our uh, survey uh, team, design team.
1: Yeah, I felt like I I just filled out the survey yesterday and I felt like there were, first of all, it was very clear, very well done. It wasn't, there weren't ambiguous questions. I mean, obviously with the survey that's going out to so many people, you guys strive for clarity, but it seemed like I really liked how the questions gave you the, the ability to check as many boxes as you wanted to, that really applied to you because there are so many differences in everybody's day to day but you're still going to get a nice picture of who that person is and then be able to correlate that amongst, you know, all the different answers that they gave. So I felt like I was able to really personalize my answers, even though I'm checking boxes so that you guys know that you're saying apples to apples here. Um, so I felt like it was, (laughs) it was, and it took me maybe 20 minutes, 20 or so, maybe 15, something like that to go through the whole thing. It wasn't, It didn't feel tedious. It didn't feel like it was too long. So I really encourage everybody to, you know, click the link and and get out there and fill it out because it really is going to help us understand where our profession is, who we are, who's making up our profession. There's so many really insightful questions in there that I think that the data that comes out of this is really going to help us understand who we are so that we can understand what needs to be addressed and where we need to go.
3: Yeah, and the other different thing is that we've reached out heavily to the local chapters of AIA um, components, and uh, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback and excitement about um, having these component chapters participate, and it's a way to speak up and it's a way to engage with their members on knowing what it is that uh, people need, right? So not only from their jobs, but what do they need from AIA as an organization to help them grow, to help them navigate these pinch points and career dynamics that we talk about, these challenges or barriers, right? And I think in a way, it's a win-win, um, not only for the members or um, practitioners who aren't members, um, or even people who have left architecture to be able to inform um, what, what it is we need to do to change and, and make it a better working environment so people can stay if they want to.
0: So, Rose, I'm This survey runs, it says on the website, till March 16th. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And
3: the way that you can take it is there's multiple ways. One is through only through email, though, um, but through your um, local component chapter, through NCARB, through AIA National, or NOMA. So these uh, five collaterals and architecture schools, alumni organizations that have signed up to take the survey. And also your firm. So if you're not getting, if you have heard a lot about the survey, you heard other people take it, you haven't gotten it yourself yet in your inbox. The uh, the the one surefire way to get is to convince your firm to take the survey. Uh, it's it's anonymous. There's no you know there's no tracking of. All firms are grouped together, but we are able to track small, medium, large, extra large firms, so we can give data to those firms about like for like if they want to know about other small firms or large firms. But what that does is that helps make it accessible to people that aren't AIA members um, that can't get at the survey through these other means.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's still working in the profession.
3: That's right.
0: Absolutely. So if if you haven't received such an email, how would you go about requesting it?
3: There's, um, there's our website, eqxdesign.com. Sorry, yeah, eqxdesign.com, and it is the first page. If you read through the frequently asked questions, there is a, a firm distribution partner sign-up form. We ask that you talk to your firm leaders. If you're not a firm leader, get permission first, or at least introduce us to them so we can share, you know, the deeper dive information. They feel comfortable with it. But then, once they say yes, then we send out the um, individualized uh, the firm link, if you will, to that application. The once you've you know agreed to take it mm-hmm. as a firm, because we can't give it out to individuals who want to take it, um, namely because of the bias, self selection bias. We know that a lot of women are interested. A lot of men don't know about the survey. So if all women took the survey, then we you know we'd have a lopsided. Uh, Pool, if you will. And even, or even men that want to take the survey, they're more adept to answer the questions in a certain way than a, just a random sampling of people. So that's why we ask if you want to take it, get your firm to buy in. It's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for the profession.
0: Oh, that's great. Good news for everyone. And so this episode will go out on March 4th. So people will be listening to it uh, roughly yes. a week and a half or so um, uh, before the survey closes. So if you're listening and you want to participate, go to the website, EQ, eqx. I can't even say it, EQXdesign.com. And there'll be a, sh- a link in our show notes for that as well.
3: Great. Thanks. <laughs>
2: and if you do work for a firm that already had, is participating and you haven't taken it, make sure you do. Absolutely. Because, uh, we, uh, thankfully it's one of our featured posts on our, uh, intranet and um so it anytime anybody clicks on our intranet which once they open up uh the browsers that's it automatically goes to what we call our square and um it's front and center right there in front of your face you can't avoid it and uh and that's a good thing
3: that's awesome thank you (laughs) so rosa what
0: has equity by design learned over the last five or six years that this has been going on? And what do you hope to maybe learn from this survey this year? I know that that's a huge question, but just <laughs> <laughs> if no, you it's okay. summarize that.
3: Abstract it by the different years that we've administered the survey. So the first one was in 2014, which seems like, you know, Jurassic years, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a lot that we learned. We actually did conduct that survey through social media, uh, only to be told after we did it that way that that wasn't a valid a statistical method to have a survey being conducted. So we t- took heed in that. And But we did learn a lot of things from that first survey, namely uh, anecdotal um, conversations about pay equity or pay inequity, if you will. The fact that um, the caregiving question was a big challenge and the salaries were uh, skewed because of it. Um, There was interesting information about satisfaction that most practitioners in the 2014 survey, less than 50% were satisfied with their current job state at that given point in time. Um, Negotiation was an aha moment in that first survey that less than 35% of men and women negotiate when they have a dissatisfactory salary offer in that particular question. But it basically raised these conversations of, well, why aren't we better negotiators? And does that have a corollary to the fact that we as an industry are not valued for the work that we do? Um, is satisfaction and tied to meaningful work and the day-to-day um, understanding that The work that we do has meaning to the long-term career goals? Do we know the transparency of the promotion process? And then so in 2016, that developed into these uh, broader spectrums of discussion. So we introduced the uh, spectrum of burnout versus engagement, and what are the factors that uh, contribute to one or the other. So we learned that um, more access to senior guidance on a regular basis, having friendships at work, knowing the promotion process, uh, that it was transparent and declared, had positive impacts on one's engagement and potential to maintain or or stay within that firm or within the profession. Um, Things that detracted from, or contributed to burnout, uh, were the lack of friendships were not knowing one's promotion process at one's firm, or that there was no promotion process, that there were no work-life flexibility policies or practices, and that um, they weren't, <clears throat> sorry, given opportunities to uh, have a seat at the table, or that, again, the meaningful work was one of the the big drivers, you know, so how do we get, we know that there's mundane things we have to do, but how do we get the questions that, conversations that came out of it, were how do we get more meaningful work, into the practices so that everybody feels that they're doing something that they can be engaged in, right, because that was a a big factor. And then we started the conversation of race and ethnicity, but we, again, didn't get the opportunity to dive, to do the deep dive understanding of what that entailed as far as discussion. So the 28th survey tries to cover that, excuse me. So um, like I mentioned, cultural competency and the understanding of how that impacts performance or uh, the perception of engagement or meaningful work and how we um, take the information that we also learned from 2016 of the creativity bias between men and women. we had this um, analysis about pay between the different roles that Men and women had taken, and it was principal in charge, design principal, um, yeah, you know, project architect, etc. The biggest pay gap was actually with the design principal. And I think I may have mentioned this before last year, but just as a reminder, that there was a study done by uh, Duke University, the Fuqua School of Business, about creativity bias, and they had simulated an architect's portfolio.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I, in, I remember
1: reading about yeah. this. Very eye-opening.
3: <laughs> in both cases, men and women judge the male portfolio, same exact portfolio, just different names slapped on top as right. being more creative. And then when we do the Google test, I challenge people to go to Google and type in famous architect. It's better today. I, I tried it recently. It looks a little bit different, but it's still predominantly your architect white male um, search engine, if you will. The the algorithms tell us who the famous or creative, or the great architects. Are. Yeah. So how do we undo that? How do how do we unravel that and rebuild that, so we're not biased in that way in that regard. Interesting. Yes.
1: Wow. So oh, what's ne- so what's next? I mean, you <laughs> you guys, we've we've got a couple more weeks in the in the survey. Uh, you you've got your hands busy. You probably don't need anything else on your to do list.
3: Um, well, I did want to bring a- up one quick topic. And I know we're not going to have time to deep dive into it, but we had been asked by some why we did not include sexual harassment questions in the survey. Mm. And it's one of those third rail topics. And it's not that we don't believe that that's an important topic because it is. But the fact that you can't really get into the nuance of that topic with a survey because it's a very personal thing that happens to individuals. Mm-hmm. And we know it's it's like the open secret. If you ask people, you know, have you been sexually harassed before? One, people don't really understand the spectrum of sexual harassment. They think it's the worst kind, you know, and if it's not the worst kind, then you're being overly sensitive, right? Um, but there is a spectrum that's being developed that is being implemented into HR policy about it could start from, the the micro uh, transgression, if you will, where it's a uh, it's something that's said right or, or implied, but while it could be seen as culturally as well, that's a compliment, it could be seen as offensive to the person that the intended compliment was for. And in that sense, when we're talking about the workplace, I mean it's a larger cultural issue, right? that's been kind of in our media, in the way we talk in, in, you know, if you talk to um, women who tend to be older, they tell you, well, that's been happening forever. This is not new, but how do we address it in a way that is meaningful and impactful? One, I believe is the representation um, that when we have more equitable representation, the culture is different. The the mindset is different that we don't have this acceptance of what well that's the way it was and why can't we still act that way, um, but that it becomes more of a broad it's kind of like the cultural competence it, it's a it's a um, it's a competence about how we should be treating each other with dignity and respect uh, that is lacking I think. Currently, in our conversations, because we're, one, we're afraid to talk about it. Um, we're afraid because one, one, might think that you know we'll we'll be reprimanded, or or we, uh, you know, those that that do talk about it will be seen as being overly sensitive. But for those people that have unfortunately had that happen to them at any level, from the micro transgression to the most serious, how do we help those people heal? and you know beyond just taking a survey um i think there are surveys out there that ask the question and when they come out it's this shock and awe thing of well you know we know it's there and it's always been there and people are trying to unravel it and say well you know okay what do we do next i think i'm more interested in what we do next and not revealing that oh yes it's there because it is there um if that makes any sense mm. I'd like to hear what you guys think about it because I have a woman's point of view, obviously, and I know it's a third rail, but if you guys have an opinion, I think it would be interesting for the listeners to start this conversation at some level. Yeah,
1: I Try think it's, honest, a, it's interesting. No, it's fine. I think it's interesting to think about it because I, it's funny uh, the timing on this, because I just had to take a, uh, a course, an online course because of, uh, you know, th- depends on i guess where you're at in your career but if you if you have people who you're supervising typically this is one of those things or maybe if you're teaching um, a class or something like that you the i know that the university system has all their professors and adjuncts take this course as well and so i think uh, it's interesting to kind of see all the different perspectives that and i i don't it's kind of i got to pick the right words here but it's one of those things where you don't aren't necessarily aware of all of the different small behavioral things that go on that are attributed to this because you don't think of it in that way. And what's interesting is ever since um, we've been doing this podcast, I will definitely, because we're putting our voices out there and we've created this platform, I'm much more sensitive to it because you'll get called out on it. You'll say he did this or she said that and you're being generic, but, but you're really being specific to a gender. And so, We've been called out on that, I know, By and I'm not sure how many times, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, we have to be sensitive. We have to be aware of this. And and then thinking about it in the workplace, um, it's amazing to me how many people don't have a zero-tolerance policy on this stuff. When they see something, they don't say something because they might be afraid of retaliation or they might not want to offend somebody who's seen as a leader or in a position of power in a company. So they just keep their mouth shut. And, and to me, I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that I keep bringing up to people when, whenever this type, maybe I, I'm not there to, to witness the behavior, but I hear about it. It's like, why did you let that go there? Sh- you should be. And I, it's easy for me to say that somebody should be some certain way, but you've got to have a zero tolerance policy on this stuff. You have to let people know that what they're doing is wrong and you have to let them know immediately not three days later, not a week later. Don't talk to HR about it two weeks from now, but right then just call them on it so that they know where you stand. Because I think a lot of times people just don't know where other people stand and they, they're, they they're in air quotes, you know, joking around. They're just messing around. Oh, I was just messing around. And, and to me, you have to have that zero tolerance policy when it comes to that stuff, especially in the workplace. I, I was just made aware of a situation just this last week. And it just makes my stomach turn in knots because the person who was being talked to didn't say anything. And I know that this person has told her story to several other people and I'm sure nobody has said anything about it. And it's just like, we've got to get over the point where this is okay. This is one of those things that just happens. Like it shouldn't be, it should be one of those things where it is immediately brought to the attention that this is not okay at all. Um, and, and I guess, I don't know if I'm really getting at what you were asking. Oh, um, you it's are. just kind of my personal, just just some things that have come up recently that I'm just so surprised that people let so much slide. And maybe they've just been beaten down so many times. Maybe they've just experienced it and nothing's ever come out of it in a positive way, that they're just tired of bringing it up. They don't want to seem like a broken record. But it's also one of those things that is on so many people's radar now uh, because of the types of things that you're talking about. I mean, obviously if you guys considered putting it in the survey, it's a huge issue that lots of people are talking about and they want to be able to talk about it and they want a platform to do that. And I understand why you chose not to include it in this particular one, because like you said, it is kind of a third rail it's, it's taking away the focus that you guys are trying to get at. It seems like it's should be the focus of its own thing. It's own survey. Right. Right. But uh, it's just amazing to me how, how, much tolerance there still is for this kind of thing out there. And it's really sad.
3: I want to also bring up the, um, article you retweeted from Laura that Laura posed out, which is, is that sexual harassment, how to tell, and there's these, uh, six different levels, because I think people associate the word sexual harassment with level six, right? Yeah. And if it's not right. level six, then it's not sexual harassment. Then it
1: doesn't count, right?
3: But I like the fact that they give new names, give a new lexicon and interpretations for people to be able to identify and see these things as they progress. So just really quickly, they say level one is aesthetic appreciation. Level two is active mental groping. I mean, I feel awkward even saying the word groping, right? <laughs> totally. We need to get over it. Right. Um, level
1: Call it, what it three, is.
3: social touching you know, what might be seen as like the shoulder, you know, the hand on the shoulder, is that appropriate? Right. Um, then there's level four, foreplay harassment, again, uncomfortable words, right. That we Mm -hmm. don't like to say level five, sexual abuse, and then level six, which is ultimate threat, which is what we know as rape or the criminality. Right. But why does it have to be the criminality or nothing? Right. Um, it's all those other levels leading up to level six that we need to start being responsible for and acknowledging
1: that the acknowledgement is huge because that that's, and that's what I'm talking about with there is so much tolerance of this type of behavior at those other five levels or maybe the four, you know, whatever the number is, but it's the lower stuff that, that is it's, it's when somebody starts building a foundation of that behavior that it gets to those higher levels because those foundations aren't knocked down immediately. And so Let's just take it a little bit further the next time. Let's just, you know, it's accepted, right? So I'm going to do it a little bit more. And it turns into this thing where they've got this strong foundation of bad behavior that then leads to the craziness, the the level six stuff. And so you don't just jump from zero to six. The behaviors are built slowly over time with reinforcement of usually people ignoring it or just saying, or just by not speaking up, therefore, Saying it's okay,
3: and it's in our culture, right? So it's in our comedy, the comedians. It's in our the movies that we watch. um, It's in advertising, right? Uh, But luckily, it's in in
1: everything that our kids are looking up to these days. It's it's in athletics. It's in gaming. It's in streaming. It's YouTube. It's every. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's accepted behavior because. Because you're putting it out there on in a media platform that says, you know, this this movie studio, these actors, they stand behind this,
3: or they think it's funny. It's okay. Or, yeah. Sorry, Thanks. Sorry, cut you, cut you off there. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'd like to get to a point where we can have these conversations that, albeit awkward, still occur. Because without it's like the conversation about race and. Black Lives Matter, you know, and or let's throw it out there, the mass shootings. Mm-hmm. We don't like to talk about things because it's awful and it's awkward. But until we are brave enough to have these conversations, these problems will not end. I'm gonna get off my soapbox now.
0: <laughs> well said. Yeah, good job. No, I think you're 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 very right about that, Rosa. One of the interesting parts about all of those different things and specifically about the sexual harassment part, I think is awareness. And Evan, you, you, you harped on that. And I know at our firm, we do education. We've been doing it actually for a very long time. Uh, I remember taking, I think one of the first classes on it back in the mid nineties or something. And, the training materials have gotten much better over time. I, I would say that, Rosa, to go to what you were just saying about um, sexual harassment is more than just the level five and six I, uh, aspects, is that the training materials that I remember from first taking this back in the mid-90s is that they were ver- or overtly level five or four right. uh, items that they were saying, hey, these are bad things, don't do this. Yeah. Not anymore. Not yeah. Yes, exactly, Evan. And in, in the most recent training course that I had to take just this past year, it was mostly levels one, two, and three. Yeah. It's like we, and
1: it doesn't focus just on female either. It's oh, it's no. very yeah. there are and it's low percentages, but there are definitely men who experience these same harassment issues.
0: Right, right. And so I think it's it's talking about it, as you said, Rosa, making people aware of it. And then as you mentioned, Evan not allowing it to happen or making those that are doing it aware of it at the time that it happens. That is not okay. And I think that's all great progress and we've got clearly a long ways to go uh, on a number of these things. Absolutely. Well, on that note, thanks for listening everyone. And thanks again to Rosa Shang for joining us for this very special episode. And we always enjoy having Rosa come on the show and give us an update on all of the things Regarding equity by design and, and that whole movement that she was starting years ago. And we appreciate you coming on Rosa. Thank you.
1: How can, you. how can people follow you online? Rosa, yes. what's the best place for them to check in with you?
3: Um, Twitter at Rosa Shang. And
1: um, spell that out for everybody. Yes.
3: R-O-S-A-S-H-E-N-G. And at EQX design, sorry, equity X design on x
1: design right is the oh, dot com
3: yeah that's the dot com but on twitter it's equity x design we just couldn't get the same name all over the place consistent. <laughs> it's actually a very popular topic so um, now you get to sure.
1: explain that to everybody yeah. <laughs> all right well thanks for being on the show once again Thank you. we really thanks.
3: appreciate it
0: appreciate it thanks This episode is brought to you by RCAT and BQE Core. The music is by System Kid. You can subscribe to Arcuspeak on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast app you use. Be sure to check out our archive at arcuspeakpodcast.com where you can stream or download every episode we've ever released and find links to articles referenced. We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, or email at arcuspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.